Podcast. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. On this episode of Missing the Point, it's our first MTP kickabout. We'll discuss if the BBC, Sky Sports, and the mainstream media in Britain discounted Liverpool's chances of winning the Premier League this season. And how do we think Jurgen Klopp feels about having his full-strength Liverpool squad back? We'll also discuss why Lionel Messi left Barcelona to go to PSG. And also we'll talk about what steps Major League Soccer needs to take in order to be taken seriously by the likes of the Premier League, Series A, and Bundesliga fans across the globe. This is Missing the Point, episode 80. But it's all relative. Welcome to Missing the Point. My name is Joe Malkin. Joined this afternoon, evening, good morning, whatever time of day you're listening to this, uh, DK Dave Clark is with us, uh, with me from the West Coast. I always, It's weird to say us because it's just you and me. Uh, Craig's here. A lot of these. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, Craig. How are you? Just here with my cigarette in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, right, where, right where you belong on this topic. So, <laughs> Oh, that's why we call you Deep Throat? I thought it was a different connotation. No, it makes a lot of sense now. Because I have secrets, our presence. <laughs> well, you're probably not the only one. <laughs> uh, so speaking of secrets, Dave, uh, we're gonna we're gonna play a, a little um, an MTP football kickabout, as you as you so eloquently uh, have phrased it. We're gonna call it red versus blue. And if you're wondering, oh, football, they always talk football. No, not that football. We're gonna talk about what Dave and most of the world would call real football. Uh, we're going to talk about the English Premier League. We're going to talk about uh, the contract for former Barcelona um, superstar Leon Messi and uh, current Paris Saint-Germain uh, superstar Leon Messi. And we're going to mix in some other things, probably talking about the EPL. But also what we're going to do is Dave and I have an interesting connection in the football world where Dave is a Liverpool fan and uh, I am a supporter of Everton, uh, which they currently until 2023 but currently they play uh 0.6 miles away from each other in the city of liverpool in england uh, on the um the the border of england and wales and i'm probably boring all of our listeners at this point with this but what we're going to do is take a look at the uh, english premier league we're going to take a look at dave's team liverpool my team everton and and where they came from did you ever hear the story of how uh how liverpool was made because because of everton do you know the whole backstory that I do not know. So originally Everton was, and this is back in the late 1800s, they, uh, the people who owned the stadium and the owners of the team were like separate people. 
So the guy who owned the stadium of Anfield, which is where Liverpool play now, um, Everton played there. And he was there was like some sort of contract dispute. And they were like, it's cool. We'll go across and build a stadium over at Goodison Park. And then we'll become that, that Everton. And you won't have a football team anymore. And he was like, actually, I'm going to fucking start my own football team. So in 1892, Liverpool was founded as the second team to play at Anfield. It used to be Everton's home team. Little interesting factoid there, Joe, for your uh, for the back background on your on your toffee blue football team that you like inexplicably. It's not inexplicably, but we can talk about that story as well because uh, soccer, football, association football has become gotten a lot bigger in the united states over the last uh few years uh, probably over the last decade it's really kind of taken off the mls has gotten huge uh and americans just have more exposure uh because there's not much better as an american than to turn on nbc sports on a saturday morning and see rebecca lowe's face uh start talking about the english Premier League because not only is she awesome at her job she's one of my favorite um uh sportscasters uh in in the world probably i think she does she is really good she uh she like there's a lot of really good sports casters or like hosts or commentators whatever buried in these weird kind of what an american would consider niche sports have you noticed yeah. that like uh, there's a couple of ufc guys this guy john anik the ufc unbelievable like he's like the most polished uh play-by-play guy in all of sports today and then it but like he's just stashed away in the ufc because like I, those people don't die, I guess. <laughs> it's like all the football guys are like a hundred. And I'm like, looking at, I'm looking at Terry Bradshaw, who has been hit in the head way too many times. And he's like trying to form coherent sentences. And I'm like, oh man, it's such a good old boys club. That's been a problem in American football for a long time. Well, it was nice that just we're good at the game at one point, all of a sudden think they can talk about it. So we're good. It's good. So we're good. And I was like Collinsworth. Yeah, Collinsworth. See, you and I are in the camp. I sometimes I like Collinsworth, and other times I don't. But the guy's the guy's good. I like him. I like. I just like how he breaks down plays. I don't listen to him otherwise. But I get why people are annoyed by him. And then also, would America like? I think Rebecca Lowe could come in and do like be the next Al Michaels. But would America like reject a lady with an English accent doing American football? Of course they would. Oh yeah, without a doubt. What they would have to do is really grow the MLS to a point where they get rid of their silly uh salary cap rules and roster yeah. rules you have to put in promotion relegation and then maybe somebody like that would be um uh respected in that fashion but she's very well respected in the in the you know european football circle in america yeah she's awesome she's really good and i remember the days of watching fox uh with the, the premier league on fox and like you know no disrespect to fox but like they hired a british i think they just pull people in off the street to be their commentators because none of them were very good. At that point, I kind of had to. Yeah, I don't even mind like the two Robbies. The two Robbies yeah, they're fine. are fine on NBC. Like, I, you know, it's a it's a good product. They put the product together well. We talked about uh, Men in Blazers, uh, who yeah. have a great podcast. They have a they have a TV show. I mean, they've kind of come from literally just talking nonsense about football, and now they're they're one of the biggest podcasts, football podcasts in the world. So, so and that's what we're going to become with this show alone, Dave. So. So to give you the backstories, you gave me that wonderful backstory on uh, uh, Anfield and Goodison Park, which is funny because Goodison Park isn't actually even in the Everton neighborhood of Liverpool, but they're still called Everton. But Liverpool plays in the Everton neighborhood. Yeah, that's why. That's what makes, it makes sense there, right? Right. Now it does make sense. And uh, Everton will be moving into a new stadium uh, in two years' time. So that's there's another. There's a third team right across the River Mersey called the Tramir called Tramir Rovers. 
They're, they're in League 2, League 1. 3. I don't know. They've always been shy. It's so funny. All right. So this is this is an interesting point because I, I have a lot of friends. I have a friend who's a big Arsenal supporter. You, big Liverpool supporter. And then, but what I always find interesting is people who are big supporters of their team in the Premier League never really know the lower leagues in England. Like, like I don't know, this. I wish it's a different product. I, I, I do to a certain extent. I mean, I, there's there's certain teams I know about because I remember Liverpool playing them in the FA Cup, and when the FA Cup rolls around, that's actually like that's the the kind of Super Bowl season for the lower league teams because they get to go and play like the Liverpool's, Manchester United. It sounds condescending when you talk about it, but like in those terms, but it it makes them a lot of money, and you can like send all. Uh, you, you know, you can you, you sell out your stadium first off, right? There's no question about that. And then you, you kind of get to have this big pageantry day if, like, we're playing Liverpool. And, like, then if they win, which happens in the FA Cup uh, from time to time, like a, a big team, maybe they don't feel the right team or they're not taking it seriously or they're just having an off day and they get, like, giant killed by, like, an FA Cup team. That's, like, the coolest thing ever when that happens, and except for me when it's Liverpool. But that's a, a thing I've always tried to draw American supporters in with which hasn't really made sense to them where I'm like, no, all these competitions happen kind of like at the same time. So it'd be like if the NBA had like an alternative league that was going on at the same time as the NBA. Which they were talking about doing. Yeah. And you would like play with your same team, but it would be like a different competition, like a different tournament. And like the prestige of these said tournaments is kind of decided by the public, you know? So for a long time, like when my dad was growing up, the FA Cup was huge to win. Like everybody wanted to win the FA Cup and it was like right. a, a prestigious honor because everyone would feel their best teams and they would try their best. With fixture congestion and then with the uh, advent of like the European Cup was now the Champions League, you have uh, bigger competition with bigger money with bit, like more players coming in and they're kind of like, eh, the FA Cup, whatever. So that kind of hurts the lower league team. So right. I feel like, yeah, my generation just in a very long winded way that's your question. My generation of, of football supporter, probably your friend who likes Arsenal, are not as connected to the lower league teams. But like the old, what, what we call in Ireland and they call in England, the Alphas. Like if you ask the Alphas, like, ah, you know, do you remember, you know, Brighton, Hove Albion did something right. cool. They have like, or like Wimbledon FC. Like they always have like, oh, I remember the FA Cup final in 1970, whatever the fuck. And you're like, ah, like, see, they fucking, they know all <laughs> So, and, and then also, the, you know, I have the added disadvantage of having never lived in England. And although I know the geography of it because of like watching the Premier League, it's, I don't have any real connection to where these towns are, you know, right. in some kind of like, eh, whatever. But yes, I am a shit, to, I'm a shit uh, Premier League supporter because I'm not, <laughs> I don't know anything about the lower leagues. Well, it, it's just, it's so interesting because I, I wouldn't, it's not a, I mean, good Premier League supporter because you pay attention to the league. You could probably name all, as I probably could as well, name all 20 teams in the league. Yeah, I could definitely name all 20 teams in the league. Yeah, right. <laughs> Something else is just so amazing that we don't see in American sports, not, along with tournaments going on at the same time as the season. Again, the only thing we can really equate it to is the, the MLS, right? Which, of course, you called uh, the semi-pro soccer in, uh, in the, the pre-show, which is fine. I understand. But they have the U.S. Cup. I've never heard of the U.S. Cup. Is that real? The U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, they. they <laughs> That's called. It is. It is. And and literally, it'll be teams from you know the, the Revolution, the New England Revolution, uh, who I am a season ticket holder of. I, I love going to their games. Good way to get. Up. Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. I've been to a few Revs games. And at, and they 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 just won as uh, in their their top top of the league, which would be great in most other leagues because you know 
it, it means something in most other leagues here. My my way personal opinion on it is that they have to stop Americanizing the MLS. Like just play like kind of like what you're just saying. Like just play it the way it's meant to be played. Like line it up with all the big leagues across Europe, and like then then you can start to mold yourself after them and get the talent, and then start to compete at those higher levels. And like that's your better, that's your best bet, you know, because like this whole salary cap thing to try and like playoffs and try to make it like a more American friendly product. I, it's just, I, it's not for me, but I mean, maybe the numbers dispute that. I mean, I mean, American football is king in the United States, but there right. are plenty of leagues. Ireland. The name thing, the name thing has been a thing too, right? <laughs> the fact that it's called football, everyone's like, ah, I don't trust it. That sounds communist. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, the whole thing behind the name soccer it's, it's like all right it came from literally from association football which is what americans called football before it, we changed it to soccer so it, it's just uh it, it's interesting to watch but the the i think that the mls itself needs to go to promotion relegation number one which is a hard sell for americans is there enough teams to do that i mean after 2023 there'll be 28 teams so there's enough, and you have USL teams that can play pretty well. Uh, the in Pittsburgh they have the Pittsburgh River. So you could maybe get like take the shittest eight teams and put them in like MLS B or whatever, yeah. right? Or like MLS two. That's the best you do right now, and just have them play each other all the time and just knock the shit out of each other, and then they play, and then they play like an eight team playoff or a, yeah. a sixteen playoff or whatever the fuck, and then you do maybe two go up and two go down because like I don't know if there's enough teams for like three. I don't know. There's a lot to work out there. I think there's enough. I think there's enough, but I, I think, I think, yeah, I think they're going to work towards it because I think they have to. And the U.S. Open Cup, yeah, the U.S. Open Cup is something that's that's interesting because you know the U.S. Open Cup. So like, um, uh, it, it, in in England, any team that's within the English FA can play in that, right? So even the teams that are in based in Wales that play in the 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 English FA can play in the mls or in in america the u.s open cup the canadian teams can't play in it right and they have their own championship that they right and another problem is the north american champions league i mean we could fix all the problems the wales thing is weird though because it's like wales is like a small enough country i feel like where they you know they kind of have that feeling teams issue sure but there's not enough there's not scotland and ireland have their own they have their own and they don't play they do only time you would ever see any and this would be pretty unlikely but every time you'd see an english team play a scottish or irish team it's probably in the european club in the champions league like so there's and i think people have been calling for that like it'd be cool to because everyone always asks the question like you know celtic and rangers are like the two best teams or historically the two best teams in uh, scotland and then it's always it's a hot hot button pub debate that people like to have like you've heard this conversation a million times of like it, like pubs in Ireland, it's like or scotland or whatever like Oh, if you put Celtic in the Premier League, they'd come in fourth or third, or they'd win the whole thing. They're pretty whatever, like or tenth or wh- who knows, right? So, um, I always reckon they'd be like a mid-table team. Oh yeah, without a doubt, it would. It would be if Celtic is the Everton North. I, I mean, honestly, yeah, no, they're good. They're good. They're you know, I like. I always had a, I always had a soft spot for them because like the Catholics are supposed to like Celtic and the Prodies are supposed to like Rangers, but then Steven Gerrard went to Rangers, and I'm like, oh, which do I care about more? Like ah, like people have been killed over the first one. But like, <laughs> ah, sounds serious. Like, is someone gonna get angry at me? Anyway, so there's that whole the connection. But yeah, like, open borders are a good thing in football. You know, the more teams play each other, the better. 
the better you get because you get lower competition. You know what I mean? Like, so that's why that super league thing was such a pile of shit. And I don't want to get into that because I'm sure they'll no. talk to death by everybody. But that's why that was so stupid because it's like, how oh, you're just like, you're, you guys are all just going to play each other all the time. Like, that just sounds fucking ridiculous. I'd have a problem with like an 18 second league for the MLS. There was a conversation. Re- yeah, that wouldn't be enough. You're probably right. Right. And, you know, another thing that, that has been floated is that, and, and it's always floated in American sports, is that the MLS and the Liga BBBA uh, or Liga Mexico. Lima, that was good. I would have fucked that up. Liga MX would, would go fine and they would have, they'd make two leagues out of the two leagues, basically. Right, right, right. Um, and have the top teams from the two. But and there's loads of good club teams down at the furthest south you go. There's loads of good club teams. Like all the Argentinian yeah. teams and all the Brazilian teams are like, they're great. But if I cared to you, if like at, you started having MLS teams play Brazilian teams, like there'd be fucking murders. Like something would happen because. Oh yeah. The, the MLS fans are actually pretty legit, you know? And I think that they have like a, like a, their own kind of standing in, in fandoms, you know, where people are like, oh yeah, yeah. they're kind of, and like their supporter sections are like pretty legit. And I think that's cool. And they have, and I heard something like, so I think my brother told me like, they had, they like copied the German teams or like they had the German, like some guy taught them how to like do German supporting. I don't know. I heard that, but I, that's like a half. Yeah, it's it's very, um, just from what I've seen, what I've watched, because you, you can get a lot of these wacky leagues. If you just turn the TV on, sometimes you can watch Brazilian league games. You can watch. Yeah, and they kick the fuck out of each other, too. Oh, yeah, they do. They beat the crap out of it. Yeah, every once every like two years, you hear a story about like them beheading a referee or something. You're like, maybe we should not do about this team's played this guys. I know. It happens in Africa, and it's like, I, I should laugh. But- but yeah, right. But it's, it's, it is kind of amusing. It's like at the end of the day, it is a game, but it, it is so intense. But I, I've heard that story too, where they, they kind of taught American fans how to watch football properly. And I mean, yeah. really, the American game is pretty close to the German game. It's, it's big and it's yeah, in everything except for like quality of player. Sure. <laughs> no, yeah, without a doubt. Is that true though? No. I, I didn't know that about the American soccer. The, the style is so close to, to the German. Style. Like the pace? Is it the pace? The, the, the physicality and the pace. Better with the you say. You play. Yeah, the quality of play is higher because it's much easier in other leagues to sign foreign players. Yeah. And big name foreign players. They may get so difficult here. I mean, there's always been conversation of these guys coming over here and, you know, everybody's going, oh, Messi's going to go to the ain't catching with their old or whatever. Yeah, like Zlatan came here for what two years, and it was like he kind of just dominated the league, which was kind of a point to the MLS. But did he go back to United and it was still good? He went back to United and then was still good, but then he or he was like fresh off of being pretty good at United, right? Either one or the other. Yeah, and then he went off and and he owns a team and plays for. I think he's back in Sweden, and but. That fucking that shtick is a bit old, isn't it? That old Jelatin shtick, like underbirds so brilliant. I'm like, yeah, you're all right, mate. Like, but fucking hell, like you've had the same joke since I was like 20. It's like prove, prove your have a new joke. And then I heard he said some weird shit, but like he had did he say some like racist shit to somebody one day on a on a football pitch. I don't know. Zlatan fell off for me. Yeah. He was cool for a while, but then it's like I, 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 he got kind of grimy. I think he tried to come and be cool in the United States. Yeah, maybe. I mean, lame. But that German style is cool as well because, like, Jurgen Klopp came into Liverpool and he was like, ah, "There's a bunch of fucking midgets on this team. We have to get a bunch of fucking big tall guys." And now we're massive, <laughs> yeah. And it's so entertaining to watch a massive bunch of 
lads play for your football team and just be bigger and stronger and weirdly faster than everybody else. It's awesome. As long as Van Dyke can stay healthy this year. Yeah. I mean, he got, it was a, it's just, it's a war. Are we going to get into this? I've yeah, well, no, I know what the load if you look into it, this was, this was more of a, uh, a segue into it because for, for those of you that don't pay attention much or, but in, in the, what geez, was it the, it was one of the first few weeks of the season last year. Yeah. Um, you were, but you couldn't injured him. <laughs> I was just saying, we're Everton, Everton and England goalkeeper, uh, Jordan Pickford. Big, awkward fucking lump. Yeah. He, he makes those those tackles all the time when he rolls out and he went after Virgil van Dyke and, and kind of, I don't think it was intentional. I just think he's a big clumsy fuck. I mean, you're like, right. It he, wasn't the first time it's happened the, when, where Pickford has committed this foul. It reminded me of like when it happened. Do you remember the show punked with Ashton Kutcher? It was a real, it was in the zeitgeist for a while. There was a real cultural touchstone. And sometimes, or at least one time they did a, uh, like a prank where they made, they replaced some sort of, uh, very expensive piece of art with like a prop and they had whatever celebrity it was at the time, like Shia LaBeouf, I don't know, like knock it over. And then they're like, oh, you just knocked over like a billion dollar piece of art. Like that was the prank, right? Um, who, however that celebrity felt pre-reveal was how I felt when Jordan Pickford damaged for like, it, I was like, this, it was like some idiot, some like child walked into like the Louvre. And like drew on the fucking Mona Lisa. It's like, who even let him near the Mona Lisa? Why is he anywhere over there? This is absolutely ridiculous. You know what I mean? So I knew it was bad right when it happened. And it completely fucking derailed our season last year. You know, it just, it's, it smashed up our season so hard. Yeah. So, cause like he goes out and you notice this in the, in the Norwich game, I feel like it's like he goes out and then everything kind of folds back in on itself going backwards, you know, cause it's like, ah, you can pretty much leave Virgil van Dijk by himself, you know, holding the line back there. And everybody else gets to like run forward and do whatever they want. And people are like, oh, what's going on with our attack? It's like, well, everyone's fucking injured, first of all. And now the midfielders and the fullbacks have to help out inside a lot more than they're used to, which exposes things like Trent Alexander-Arnold's one-on-one defending, which like, you know, everyone's going to be better at that when Virgil van Dijk's behind you, you know, right. or like Joel Mattis behind you even, you know, and he was, he was hurt as well. Um, and like going down to the center and house, you went down to, that's going to have a ripple effect throughout the whole team on Norwich on the, when we played Norwich, granted I'll start with this. They're not brilliant, you know, and they were ravaged by COVID and, uh, they didn't have a great preseason because of that. Um, so I'm not, I'm trying not to overreact, but like, I don't know, it's Liverpool. So I have a tendency to, yeah, sure. <laughs> And uh, I thought we were fucking great, you know, like Virgil being back makes all the difference. It's it, players look at him and they go like, ah, like, what's the point? Like they, they hold the ball up and Virgil's across him and they go like, ah, I'll just pass it. Cause he's so it, like his reputation precedes him at this point. It's like, remember when they, nobody would throw to Ed Reed or like anywhere near Ed Reed, you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, yeah. His like interception numbers fell off, but that's because nobody will throw in anywhere near him. You know what I mean? So. Same thing, like Richard Sherman, that was like an argument with him all the time. It's like, nobody ever throws in that side because they know he's got it covered. So like it screws up your like impact stance on defense or whatever. It just made all the difference. And honestly, it felt like being wrapped up in a big fuzzy blanket watching it. It just, it was like, oh, Virgil's back. And he was like, he came in and it was like COVID hit and like Virgil got hurt and like 2020 happened in the shit season with no fans. And then Virgil came back and he was like, ah, you've suffered long enough, my son. Like, it's going to be all right. And he like wrapped me up in a fuzzy blanket and like laid me down. And he was like, don't worry. And I have to say, on that note, 
the fact that no pundit, no media organization or outlet, no newspaper, no person who's paid to to write about or talk about football gave Liverpool a shot at winning the league this season, which I think is an absolute dereliction of duty. We walked the league two seasons ago, walked it, walked it. We were on pace for like 120 points. Sorry, going. No, I was just going to say, if you have Jurgen Klopp in, in Liverpool at Anfield and you have Ver- a, a healthy Virgil van Dijk, and they spend the money that they spend, which actually hasn't been a lot of money. They got that guy, Kanate, though. He looks the business. Yeah. But they, I mean, they got Joel Matt to, as, as you, you've written in here, you know, Alex Oxley, Alex Oxley Chamberlain, that's always a tough one. Um, they, they, the team that they've put together, there's no reason why they shouldn't be the favorite. Who was the favorite? Man City. Well, Man City are definitely going to be the favorite, right? Because like they, they went, they spent a hundred million on Jack Grange. They won the league last year. They won most, the most leagues of anyone in the past 10 years or so, whatever it is. They've got the most money. And like, there is actually a correlation of like highest wage bill, most points, right? It, the, the anomaly being Liverpool a lot of the time, we, we jump up three or four places. We have like the third or fourth highest up, um, nowadays, but yeah, city were city are the favorites. No problem. You buy Jack Grealish for a hundred million. Uh, you know, you've averaged a crazy high amount of points in the last few seasons and you probably have another 150 million to spend on Harry Kane. Like that's probably what's going to happen, you know? And that's a very formidable outfit, I, I think. And like Pep Guardiola. I don't tell my nose at him. I think he's a very yeah. good uh, football manager. But I do believe that it's different to manage a football team into being really good when you have a billion dollars to spend as opposed to how Jurgen Klopp has been forced to do it. Because, the, you know, as you guys know, Fenway Sports Group, the FSG, uh, John Henry and co, they, they could be a little tight-fisted sometimes. And, and I've, I've noticed talking to my baseball friends, you know, the Red Sox fans, they kind of say like, uh, you know, they want to win, but the, the spending sometimes is like they won't because they know they're not going to win or whatever it is. Right. Maybe the money is a little bit different in uh, in England. Like maybe it's more, I think the football might be a bit more expensive to try to compete in, in like the global market, especially. Uh, so they might not look as big a fish as they do in baseball because in baseball, they're one of the top richest, right? Am I wrong? About yes. Yeah. They like two or two or three. So they're not that by any, by any stretch in, in football. So they try to, kind of moneyball it but that's become kind of a bad word in in liverpool circles um what they they spend when they need to and, and they've brought success back to enfield so there's a lot of fsgl people a lot of people that don't like them they resent being owned by americans which is you know a thing um especially you know like you actually you'll notice the fsgl crowd get louder when uh Americans are being bigger tossers on the world stage <laughs> it's just like ah what are these guys but like during the trump era they got real loud I don't know. I haven't, I haven't done any studies on that. But I think they've been decent owners overall, to be honest with you. They got Virgil van Dijk and Allison and won us Champions League. So, like, I'm not. And then a league. And I'm, so I'm not super angry with them. They've been better than some of the other American owners, like the Glazers, who are just bad owners. It's just, but it's even tough to compete with them. They got fucking boatloads of cash. Yeah. You know? And, like, they could spend shitloads of money. And Man City is, is backed by an entire country. And Arsenal have a lot of weird shit going on, but like I think there's money in there somewhere. They just always seem to spend it in the wrong places. They're fall fast. And Chelsea, obviously, Russian oligarch money. So it's you're competing with a lot of really, really rich um, football clubs for for success. But so I think that might be why you know maybe Liverpool were super relevant in the transfer window, so people are like, ah, you know, they weren't great last year, ah, you know, but like. They still have a bunch of boss fucking players. They still have the best manager in the league, in my opinion. So, 
He is my favorite manager. He probably is the best manager. I think Pep is number two, and it sucks because I dislike Liverpool uh, because of the Fenway Sports Group, because of their proximity to Everton, because uh, of the obvious reasons why people wouldn't like Liverpool, but also uh, Jurgen Klopp is one of the best. And same thing with Pep. Pep's Pep's uh, outstanding. Um, and then anybody would have Jurgen Klopp as their manager. And if you read oh, on the that, if you read on the internet, somebody being like, "Oh, he's a fucking passion merchant." Blah, blah, blah. It's like you're jealous, bro. You're jealous. I can tell. He's so great. He's handsome. He's tall. He's charismatic. His outfits are always on point. I mean, he's great. He dresses just as well as he he manages his team. So speaking of that, you you've gone on your your Liverpool run here, and we'll keep going with that because Liverpool uh, beat. Excuse me, Norwich can uh, match week one three nil. That was at home, right? That was that at Andrew? No, it was at Norwich. It was on on the road. Yeah, it was away. Um, but you know, you kind of ran through this. The the team is coming back. Uh, nobody has picked Liverpool to to win the league. Um, and then going into the players that you just mentioned, and I I love your line that you wrote here, but it's it's not necessarily raw. Um, do you really believe Allison Becker is the, the the best keeper in the world? Oh, yeah, easily. It's not even close. It's honestly not even close. It's him and then fucking a bunch of space. And then, I don't know who's next. Uh, probably some lad on fucking, you know, whoever the PSG guy is or some shit. It doesn't matter. Allison's unbelievable. Like, he's unbelievable. If you watch him every week, it's just like, it, it's mesmerizing. Like, the, the, some of the stuff that he pulls off. A couple of things he had at the end of the Norwich game, it was just like... I've the only the closest I've seen in my lifetime, and I know there's been a lot of really good goalkeepers, especially in the English leagues, with like um, you know, the actual homegrown English players that like my dad always talks about being good goalkeepers, like Gordon Banks and stuff like that. And uh, then there's like Peter Schmeichel for United was like really good, but I didn't really watch those guys. The closest I ever saw do what Allison does, and he doesn't even, didn't even do it as good as Allison was De Gea for United, where he actually had this weird effect on the goal, where like players were trying to like stick them every time like they were trying to put it in the top corner every single time because they had kind of the yips when they went up to De Gea because they were like and Liverpool were bad about this as well um they wanted to put it in a postage champ in the top left hand corner because they were just worried De Gea would save it otherwise his reputation would come ahead of him and I've noticed that same exact thing happened with Allison. like he just takes their souls right at the start of the game and like he'll just he'll make a save and he'll just be a presence and you know his catching is underrated his distribution is really really good um yeah oh yeah He's definitely the best one. I mean, I think he's, I think most people would agree. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I live in a bubble. No, I would have both agree. I mean, and that's coming from, you know, a lot of people hate Liverpool. I get that, you know, well, I'm sure. but I mean, but again, you can't, you know, we, as a baseball fan, we were taught growing up, hate the Yankees, hate the Yankees, hate the Yankees. Uh, I loved Derek Jeter. I loved Mariano Rivera. I loved Jorge Posada because they were great baseball players. You can't hate. Uh, on greatness, even when your team is, uh, getting the, the short end of the stick on it. But part of the reason why he is so good as well for Liverpool is because of the defensive backline of Virgil van Dyke, Joel Matip, you have Kanate, Joe Gomez. Uh, then you have the, the Greek, uh, Kostas, Simikas, uh, and Simikas, Simikas, and, uh, which is a weird pronunciation. Uh, for a could be totally wrong. It's just how well the Liverpool leaves you saying. Yeah, well, right. right. And that's, and it's funny. So it's funny how that happens too, especially in England, because you you know we say things a lot differently over here. But it's funny because there's um, like Mourinho. It's Jose Mourinho is whenever yeah. in, in in and everybody here is like that's Jose, and yeah. they're like no, it's it's not, and it's like 
whether it's right or wrong, it always seems that the English come up with pronunciations for things. For names. We had we we I, we had players at Liverpool when I was a teenager that I found out I'd been watching him for I was watching a guy named Dirk Count. I was watching him for like five years, and everybody's calling him Kite, 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 like fly a kite. And then finally, one day, it just kind of clicked for everybody. Like, I don't know if he was in an interview or whatever. It's like, we were reading fucking his name up for like five fucking years. He was like bagging in goals for Liverpool. Like, everyone's like, yeah, Kite. He's like, who? <laughs> Who's that? Is this some new guy? Yeah. Then like, it was about commentators add to it too. Like, if the commentators don't get it right, then that'll send everyone into a kind of a weird mispronunciation spiral. So, so, so. And it's, it's also, it's eclectic, right? It's, it's people from all over the world. Like, I know it's a melting pot here, but everybody got, every, most people's names got Ellis Islanded. So I feel like, you know, when you get the pre-Ellis Island names, the, the raw, when you get raw-dogged with names over in the European League, <laughs> you, uh, you get it right from the source, right from the babbling brook, you know, and it's, they're hard in English because they're not English names. Right. So, and, and the English uh, always seem to pronounce uh, every syllable. If they do get it wrong, it's usually every syllable and every... Uh, letter in the name um so good midfield uh alex oxley chamberlain um who has he's fine their midfield honestly the midfield is the weakest point for me for a little that's not really our midfield is the thing and i agree with you 100 percent on your lukewarm association uh, assessment of alex <laughs> oxley chamberlain although his song is good that's fair catchy tune so uh <laughs> Luke, I'm lukewarm on him as well. I I have a very uh, have a very strong theory that he needs to let. And if you know if you know this expression and you know what I mean, let me know. He needs to let the game come to him a little bit more. Uh, he's he forces things, and sometimes he comes on like you know he'll come on as a substitute sometimes, and he'll be a machine, and he's just like I'm making this happen, and he'll have an impact. You know, that's why he's great off the bench, in my opinion. But he kind of has that same attitude when he goes into starting a match, and then he's forced it and then he kind of has to disappear because he's been trying too hard. I just think if he got a run of games in a really strong midfield, he'd be able to do good. I feel the same way about Nabi Kaida. But yes, the midfield is the weakest point. However, that was not our starting midfield across all three. The starting midfield is Fabinho, who is, in my opinion, and I might start to sound redundant here, the best number six in the world. It's been between him and Conte uh, uh, and Chelsea. I think they do different things. I think Fabinho's fucking up there, top five holding midfielders. Fucking spider legs, go go gadget legs. Like he makes tackles he shouldn't have. He has no right to. He's brilliant. He's and he's massive. Like you said, the German system. He's massive. So he's great. He's a starter. Henderson, our captain, obviously. And then Tiago, I think, is the other guy, the the Spanish uh Spanish stud who's played on, you know, Barcelona and, and Bayern Munich and, and won fucking everything there is to wit. And he's a brilliant passer and he's and he, he was just getting used to the league last year. So I think when he comes in, if he can stay healthy, that midfield's pretty great. But I do agree the midfield is the weakest point, but that's only because the other two spots are so strong, Joe. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say as we got up to the attack is that, you know, the only name you need to mention for Liverpool is Mo Salah, the Egyptian wonder kid, uh, who has just been outstanding in his career with Liverpool and kind of came out of nowhere a few years ago. When, and he his career was, was very interesting, uh, but he has been better in the later parts of his career and he makes it uh he makes it happen uh, up top he's, he's, he's deadly he's deadly he's uh, he's got such a crazy fitness regimen he always comes back in uh, um, and he also like you know he's muslim so he doesn't drink 
which probably helps. Like I'm sure a few of the lads, like Andy Robertson's getting pissed in the summertime, just having a good time with his friends. Well, Sally comes back in peak physical condition every year. And that's why he's, I think a big part of why he's got this record of like the only guy to ever score in his first five consecutive starts. So like the past five years, he scored the first game every single time, which I think is pretty impressive. Like it's a pretty cool stat because that means he always comes back in rip roaring and ready to go. And I, I agree. I think he looked even better this year. And I think he is going from strength to strength. And I, what I really liked about him in, in the Norwich games, my one criticism of him has been he doesn't pass the ball enough when he's in front of goal. He almost did it too much against Norwich. He was trying to get everybody involved. I think it's because he's decided he's going to be the best player in the league this year and like potentially the best player in the world. I think he's going for an insane uh, numbers year. Um, I think, you know, the post Ramos, I heard my shoulder year and like all the kind of different stuff that's happened to him, COVID ups and downs. He's like, we're back. Like I'm making a run. I'm used to my team now. I play with all my teammates for enough years. Uh, his agent can be a bit of a shithead sometimes, but like whatever. Uh, I think like he's here for like, you know, we're, hopefully we'll get him down to a new contract like soon, uh, but it's going to be expensive. Uh, he's an absolute stud. So I always love Mane. Like per, my personal favorite is Mane in the attack because just this, this style it just reminds me of, like the really speedy, tricky ringers I watched when I was younger. But like Sal is undeniable. He's just absolutely undeniable. And like I, I, there's, I, there's not enough superlatives that you can pick out to talk about how fucking excellent he is at football because he's just so good. And he could have had three goals and three assists, you know, against Norwich if a couple of things go go different ways. So he's a very happy, very happy to have most of my team. <laughs> and he's only 29 years old, um, which is, some would say, in his prime. Hell of a beard. Hell of a beard for a 29-year-old. Well, yeah. And, and um, you know, that would say, uh, some would say that that was right around the time that Jamie Vardy really came on the map for, uh, for Leicester. You didn't, nobody knew who the fuck he was before he was like 20, before 2016 when he just started banging him in left. Banging him in. Banging him in. And you could win a lot of money if you put money down on Leicester to win the championship because they were like 10,000 to one to win and they did it and they pulled it off. I mean, I, you know, you don't want to sound like the miserable old guy, but. Like, I remember that season and it was cool and it was cool that everybody got involved in it and I don't want to take anything away from them, but like, that was the season of everybody else underperforming. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was like six teams just like not, that just had no business like fucking playing football that year. Yeah, and I mean, and, and Leicester's played well since, so it wasn't a flash. Especially embarrassing for Tottenham. That was Tottenham's best chance at winning the league. They were right there and like, they just couldn't put it together. It was just like, you guys, come on. They had a tough last five years to Tottenham because yeah, fuck them. they, because everybody else got better and they, and they were considered one of the one of the top teams in in the league. They were a they were in a Champions League final a few years ago. They lost, they, I think. Yeah, and then Liverpool gets a lot better, and Man Man City started spending a lot more money, and and then of course Tottenham's got this brand new beautiful stadium that they're making, and it's like, all right, well they're under so. They're in there now, I think. They're- yeah, they're in there now. They're in there now, which it was, of course, supposed to be this, like, NFL haven as well. Right, when the NFL come to England, yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll see when and if that happens this year. I, I don't, I, I think you've kind of run down the team a little bit, but uh, I, another favorable game, knock on wood, uh, for Liverpool this weekend in week two against Burnley, um, who have been in the league for a while now. I mean, they've stayed up. Um, now, since coming up a few years ago, what are you what are you predicting uh, for uh, Liverpool in there? I think this is their home opener, isn't it? It's their home opener. It's a little disappointing. It's a half twelve kickoff because 
it, it, they have a, a little bit more of a lukewarm atmosphere the earlier kickoff times. Like obviously, you know, Anfield under the lights, Champions League, nine, like eight, nine o'clock kickoff, whatever it is in England, it's eight o'clock kickoff. Uh, they have legendary stories about like those atmospheres. And I, I was a little disappointed that the first game back at Anfield after, you know, it's going to be the f- first full capacity Anfield for like a, what you'd refer to as a regular season game, you know. Uh, it would be popping a lot more, I think, if it was like later in the day. But I, whatever, who cares, right? I think it's still going to be popping for a half twelve match, which is like half four here on the West Coast. So that's going to be a fun wake up. But like, I haven't missed the game yet, so um, I think it'll be good. I think Anfield's going to win the game for us. Whatever happens, I think we're the better team. No disrespect to Burnley, but come on, Liverpool are going to win every fucking game this year. Well, yeah, I mean it's Burnley though. I mean, even I can. Burnley's not again, not a bad team. They can be a middle, a mid-table team. They can finish top ten. And you know, a very old team. Very like they were. They've been around. They, you know, they're an old timer. They're not a new newcomer on the scene. Burnley's been a football team for longer than Liverpool has. So good for them. Like, and they, and they still, and they still have the guys from that original team on Burnley. Watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's all Pops McGibbon coming down the wings. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see who's their manager at Burnley. It used to be, yeah, okay, Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche, yeah, that fucking, he's that fucking orange, round-headed guy. I don't like him. Yeah, he he's <laughs> a, kind of an interesting-looking guy. Uh, him and Klopp always go at it, and I'm always immediately on Klopp's side. But then I think Dyche, maybe he likes Dyche. I don't know. They always yell at each other. I feel like all the managers yell at each other for some reason. They're especially bad. They're especially bad. Speaking of Jurgen, though, I. Did he get lane sinker contact lenses? Because nobody fucking ask him what a fucking derelict duty that is, right? I haven't seen. I've heard one journalist asking the question. I I said it right away when he came back for like pre pre season. Like I was watching the video on like Liverpool.com. Manager arrives at training ground and I just like just watched him walk from his car into the <laughs> building. I'm like, yay, it's starting! And he like didn't have his glasses on. I immediately clocked it. And who's to know? He doesn't have a Twitter. I can't ask him. Yeah, he doesn't have anything. So ask him in a press conference, Chase Pierce. Jesus. Yeah, but his but the glasses are iconic. So he needs to keep the glasses. I know they sold all this merch. I got like four magnets in my fridge that have like a silhouette of Jurgen Klopp and glasses. I feel like I think I can get my money back. Do you think he has uh, like nightmares of you being a Liverpool supporter because of your Lee's Lee's fucking Lee's all in, man. She's diehard. She's diehard. Yeah, yeah. She she can she could go into a, a, a pub in Liverpool and win a trivia game right now. Like about Liverpool with you around, that doesn't surprise me. And she, oh, it's, she's when I met her, Aganiolis. So when I met when I met Leah, she was an LA Galaxy fan, and one of our first dates, we uh, I took her to the bar and just made fun of the LA Galaxy for like an entire hour or however long you guys play football matches for in America. Is it ninety minutes? Ninety minutes. Let's try. Right. I, I don't know. You do everything looking weird. Different. Not that. No, that no, I did it for like ninety minutes, and I was like, let's just come watch the Liverpool game. And like you can see the difference because she played soccer her whole life. And she's like, ah, oh, yeah, this is a lot better. <laughs> no offense to the NFL or MLS, I mean. But yeah, no, she's diehard, man. She wakes up. She'll be up at 4.30 watching the matches uh, this weekend. So, Wow. But you guys couldn't agree on an American football team. Still, too late before we met. It was before we met. Yeah, and they well, play each other. The Steelers and the, uh, and the Bears play each other this year. That could be, uh, that could be tense. Are we going to have to referee that one? We're, we, we might have to do a, uh, a show during that. Start reading up on the, the deposit rules on these wedding venues. <laughs> can, see, uh, can I get my money back? If I get fucking maimed one day. <laughs> well, those Steelers fans are a little uh, angry. So, uh, 
it, it, they're always angry. Uh, but th- none of them will be listening to this show anyway. So it's, uh, uh, I know one that will. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, she's crazy because she's uh, she's with you, but that's a whole different conversation for yeah, sure. Uh, so, so, uh, something we mentioned before is we we're going to flip the script from red to blue. Uh, but something we mentioned before and I've thrown in there is that, uh, in week one of the premier league season, uh, no games ended in a draw. So there are 10 teams tied for first place and 10 teams tied for 11th. I mean, that's good. Nobody likes to draw. You know what I mean? Nobody likes to draw really like they're, I don't mind a point like in the Napoleonic sense. In the grand scheme of a Premier League season, there's games where I'm very happy to get a point, get out of there. You know, I wouldn't, I don't mind going to Man City and getting a point. Obviously, we're all three, but you get a point, you're fine. Doesn't ruin your weekend. You know what I mean? To get a right. point at the Eddie Hat or Chelsea at Stamford Bridge at, at Old Trafford doesn't doesn't hurt you. But from the American fans' perspective, I know you guys have a bit of a hurdle when it comes to the the tie, and you kind of want to see it seen out um, to its bitter conclusion, to the death. You know, which is kind of interesting because when they changed that in hockey, a lot of people were upset that they were taking the tie out of hockey, and then that that went away because then they went, "Oh, well, the, the, no, it's going to be a winner." Explain to me though, how do the point systems work in hockey? Go, you get a, both teams get one point if it's if you, if you yeah, if you go to yeah, right, and then you can get all three if you win. Uh, correct, but it's only two. Oh, it's only oh. two. So one, you're splitting the three points at the end or whatever it is. Spl- splitting the two. So there's oh, two, two points. It's always two points. Okay. Two of you win. But if you go to uh, shoot, if you go to overtime, each team is guaranteed a point. The winner gets two. I think you could do that. Like you could probably apply that. Like that might work in the MLS. That's a rule that might actually like work if you do that, it. That that's way. not bad. But I, see, but I don't, I don't, I mean, this is where I've be- becoming a fan of real football is. Uh, um, enlightened me is that if the if you can't figure it out in ninety minutes, you get a point, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, yeah. Except the tournament, sipping like tournament tournament style, you know, they, you got it. events. That's why you have the. That's why you have the kind of side by side league, so you can like implement these different rules. And then you know what I will say though, I know I bad on that major league soccer a lot tonight, but I will say this: I firmly and for a long time held the belief that. Uh, the penalty that the old MLS or old American, no, it's brilliant. Oh, it's great. It's like a hockey penalty. It's, it's they take it. They take it. You put the ball on the half. Just correct me if I'm wrong, right? But you put the ball on, a, on the halfway line and it's just 1v1. You versus the keeper. Keeper can come out. You can try and go around them. You can shoot early. You can shoot late. But like, you got to get it done. It's a 1v1 situation. If you like, if he turns you around and he sends the ball the other way at all, like he wins, or you got to do it in one go. Way fucking better. Can you imagine what? how much more exciting that would be? It's so much worse. That's the whole point. That would have been better. But isn't there? But isn't there such a suspense? And I and this is kind of rhetorical because we both know the answer is yes. But isn't there this suspense of a guy walking up to the ball on the spot, the keeper between you know between the woodwork, standing on the line, you know, holding his line, can't come yeah. out, get like his attention to it. There's so much right. There's intention. There's so much suspense, and it's like. However, it's like, I would say 75% of the time, a goal is going to be scored on a penalty kick in, in, well, now they're all the same, but the way that the MLS used to do it, I mean, it worked, but there's, there was a famous one for the New England revolution when Alexi Lawless was here. Uh, now I guess, uh, American legend, Alexi Lawless, who, uh, um, scored one 
with long hair for New England in Foxborough Stadium. Uh, and it, it was impressive and it was fun to watch. But at the same time, I'd rather have the intent, the walk up, the suspense, the build up. Uh, as long as I'm not watching Ronaldo stand over the ball, that, that's a different story. But I don't know. I think I, I understand what you mean because you've watched it one way and like they did it that way. So it's kind of fun. But I was glad when they changed that. And hockey, hockey does it right because it's hockey. It's kind of a, it's kind of a glorified game of rock, paper, scissors, the way that the, uh, the English or like the world game does it though, don't you think? And it's when it's your team, it's, it's miserable. Like it's so awful. Like it hurts. And it's just like, it's anxiety inducing, you know what I mean? So, well, that's why you need those best keepers in the world because they, they can stop more penalties than not because they're usually pretty good at it. Yeah. I mean, there are some keepers that are good at stopping penalties, I guess, but it's a bit of a crapshoot, you know, it's just a bit of a thing. So yeah, the Ev though, let's talk about the Ev. Uh, you got Benitez now. How do you feel about that? I mean, he used to manage the report, obviously. So like, what's the, what, like, I know the consensus and everything is like, uh, whatever, whoever can kind of make us win. I, you're being kind of a miserable prick if you're saying like, oh, the Wolves used to manage Liverpool. I, didn't, I don't personally care as a Liverpool fan. He already managed Chelsea. Like, it's right. You know, it's, but man's got to work. He already lives in Liverpool. He has a house in Liverpool, so it's probably a convenient job offer for him. Like, he's not supposed to be beholden to these kind of rivalries. Like, he did his job. He's got to earn a living. Or like, what? I'm anxious to know your opinion. Like, where do you think he's going to go? And what, what is the measure of success as, a, as an Everton fan right now? What, like what kind of where what how would he be deemed a successful Everton manager? Uh, get us into the uh, Conference League, which is really low because right now every Champions League. You mean no, 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 the Conference League. You know that there's a third tournament now, right? Did you know that? The fuck is the Conference League? Okay, so they have the Champions League, which is the top in England's top four, and then I can't. You got to win one of the cups because they just added it this year. So there's now the Champions League, there's the Europa League, and there's the Conference League. I've never heard this. Because it just came in this year. It's the Conference League because they've... Seventh set, so you got to come in seventh? You got to come in seventh. And they've finished, they have finished ninth through 11th, basically, since I've started following them. That'd be a good finish. That'd be a good finish for the F. And so so going back to why I started following everything, because we... You know, as someone who didn't grow up in Europe, as you did, and like didn't follow them from birth, um, in the time that I really started following, I've always watched the World Cup, always followed it, always thought it was fun. Uh, to, to I mean, it's the best, it's the best in the world, and it's country we, you don't see that in many other sports, uh, especially ones that we play in the United States, and we've just been so good. Um, at a lot of those other sports until, you know, I mean, I know the, the USA basketball team picked it up, but part of the reason why I ended up following them was because in that world cup, uh, American goalkeeper, um, uh, Tim Howard was playing for Everton at the time. And I kind of caught on with him and that was, he was the Everton keeper at the time. And, uh, part of it was, this was like, right as the Fenway group. Uh, had bought Liverpool, so I was like, all right, well, a reason to root against those guys because I'm never going to put all the Yankees hat. So it was more because of Tim Howard. And uh, when I started following him, started following um, Everton. And since then, uh, we've had like nine managers. In, in Some good ones in there, though. Some good, no, some really good ones. I mean, Coleman's a great manager, but I mean, if you come to today and you look at Rafa Benitez, um, and what I like about him is he's been a 
kind of a journeyman manager. I mean, he's been managing since 1993 when he was with Real Madrid B, uh, but he's managed in, uh, he's managed in Spain, he's managed in England, he's managed in Italy. As you mentioned, uh, he's managed Chelsea. He was the interim in 2012, 2013. He's managed, he managed Liverpool for six years, uh, back in 2004 to 2010. He's been around, uh, and most notably uh, recently uh, with Real Madrid back in 2015-16, where he was only there for 25 games. When he also won a, he won a pretty exciting Champions League final with Liverpool. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty, well, no, pretty but, big but, but that's the, right, and that's the reason why it's nice to have a guy like that. Where the other guys have had the track record, um, I can kind of equate this to what the New England Revolution have done here, where they were like, all right, we've had these managers. They haven't done a bad job. Um, but they've, we haven't been able to get better. So let's bring in the best American manager we can and bring in Bruce Arena. And that's exactly what I think Everton is trying to do now is bring in Benitez and be like, okay, well, he's won a champions league fall. He's managed some of the best teams in the world. Um, you know, he spent three years at Newcastle and went 62, 31 and 53. So, I mean. Sub 500, one percentage, but with Newcastle, that's pretty good to win 62 of 146 games and, and pick up 30 well draws in that mix as well. So what would be successful for him is to get the team to uh, the conference league. And I think he can do it. And I, I think with a team um, that is led by Richarlison up top, uh, who has been phenomenal since he got to uh, Goodison, you have Jordan Pickford, who you know, has his days, but he is the England number one for a reason. Uh, and he's still pretty young as well. So hopefully he's still getting better. Um, so I, I think that would be the, the goal for them. Problem is, is, you know, like, like you said, when we were talking about the, the conference league, like that's something Liverpool's never going to have to worry about. Yeah. I would, I would fucking hope not. I mean, we were down there for a little while, but it's, it's a matter of playing those games and being able to attract um, the players, because you are playing in Europe. And I, I think that's part of the reason why they even came up with the term in the first place. Yeah. And I think a lot of people want to come and, and play for Rafa too. Like he, like you said, he's got a hell of a resume. Um, I mean, I don't know if Jordan even has a negative connotation. I, like I think, yeah, he's just been around. I think with the teams he's managed, I don't think it does. Well, I don't know, but I get what you meant. And it's like, I, I think he's got the, the CV, like the qualifications to attract good players. And like, he plays a nice brand of football. Like, I know he's a good manager. I know you have a good manager. I know, I knew Manchester was a good manager as well. I think that showed. Um, but I, I think that the ownership has to do a better job of keeping him. Like, let him build something over the next few years, you know? Well, I'm just supposed to just be in. Money, right? Like, he, he up and left because he was like, hey, look at this. I mean, he's, he's, a, fucking, he's a fucking mercenary as well, though, to a certain extent. He's a great manager, though. But, um, well, yeah, I mean, I think I think Benitez is a good manager. I think he'll do well for you guys. But also, I think he made some shrewd signings in the summer. I think that big uh, that big mid- midfielder you got is really good. His name's escaping me. I put it on the rundown. Um, Richarlison's good. You know, Pickford's got really short arms for his body, and he uh, he wrecked a priceless artifact in Virgil van Dijk last year. So I'll never say he's good. Uh, but he is the starting goalkeeper for England, whatever that's worth. Um, well, yeah, they've got some decent players. I think seventh place is, is on the docket. The problem is the top six is so strong now. You know, like, if I guess Arsenal are really shit, though. Like, if they, if Arsenal play, yeah, if Arsenal play anything like they played in that first match um, where they got hockeyed by, by a, a newly promoted team, that's not good. You know what I mean? So they, there might be a spot open there. 
Uh, Leicester, though, pretty good. They'll be in the mix. Nobody's really talking about them. They'll be in the mix. Maybe Tottenham get ah, Tottenham look good against City, though. I don't know. It's tough. Seventh, maybe. It's it's possible, but it's tough. It you'd have you'd have he'd have to elevate them in, into a, like a squad that's maybe one level better than I'm looking at them right now. Um, but I, I think he can do that from where I'm sitting. I, I've seen him do it before. The biggest problem with with his managing style, I like his style of play, but because of the manager he is, he knows what kind of team he has, and he knows about those top four, top five, top six teams in, in the Premier League. So a, a lot of what Everton and supporters are going to see, and a lot of what we're going to watch with this team, and you'll see it in the, the derby between these two teams, the Merseyside derby, is that they're going to sit back and defend not park the bus, but they're going to sit back and defend. And the uh, possession numbers are going to be low, especially against those teams. I mean, granted, it's not great um, or a, not a great um, uh, barometer here, but they only had 49% of the uh, possession this past weekend against Southampton. And so- yeah, it's Southampton are really shit. So I don't know if you can go off any. I think there's a chance they get relegated this year. So I don't know how much you want to go off that. But a win's a win. Um, and a comeback win, nonetheless. Uh, you know, coming back from being 1-0 down at, at, in the first half. And like, you know, uh, the coals are hot underneath Benitez right now too because it's like you better produce with all the baggage you're bringing in, I would think is like a lot of the, the atti- attitude of the Everton fans right now. It's like you smash Liverpool. So you're going to come and, and manage it at every, and you better be fucking winning us games if we're going to accept you, you know? So it'd probably be quicker to turn on him if, if the results don't, uh, don't match up. Um, so it's good that he was able to start out for a win. So I'm pulling for him because he was like my guy when I like first started really supporting Liverpool. So I am pulling for him to a certain extent, but I was fucking hate everything. So I was making, yeah, right, exactly. I, I always make the joker. It's like, I don't know. I'm not from Liverpool. So like that rivalry, like doesn't really like, you know, stoke my flames as much as say like United, and then, like, every, every they're always good for, like, reminding me why I fucking hate them because they do something like that in Merseyside Derby. Look. So they are, they're not on my list of favorite teams, obviously, for, uh, you know, it's intercity and damaging precious objects uh, reasons. But weirdly pulling for Benitez, I'm in kind of a weird spot. And you're my friends, and I'd like to see you happy, you know, so. We, we can all be, that's the nice thing about it, not having, like, playoffs, and, and they, they play 38 games, and that's it. It's like, all right, so two times, uh, two they shouldn't times. really be each other's business in the table, so they just play two right. times a year, right, like you're saying, and we just can hate each other on those days, you know, because yeah. I was mad at you inexplicably when Jordan Pickford. It was outstanding, eh? <laughs> we're, like, so angry. <laughs> Like, we're the nearest Everton supporter. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, yeah. But I was like, that makes sense. I, I understand why he's upset. But, you know, you you um, you mentioned the, the the roster real quick for, for Everton. And, you know, what's nice about this roster, and Benitez, will, I think, will do well with it, is because he did sign Decore. That was the sign. Decore. Yeah, he's good. Decore. He, he looked good. He looked good. He looked like a unit in, in the midfield. He's well, he good. fits right in, too, with the style. And, you know, it's yeah. interesting because Everton never. They can never formulate a style because they always have roughly the same players, but never the same manager. So right. it's closest they came was probably under Moyes before he went off to United, right? They kind of yeah. they kind of had a look about them when they were getting grinding out results. But at that point, and he was there for a while. But you know, in, in the rundown that that we put together, I mean, you're right about Seamus Coleman, like good good captain. I mean, he's an Irish hero as well. I never say right. ever about him. Sure, but the age is starting to show. But there's some youngsters. I mean, Pickford's not old yet. Mason Holgate's been there forever. 
Lucas Dinier is is a good a good offensive threat. From- didn't have a great game, though, did he? No, he didn't. But he, he and that's the thing about football, right? If the announcers are saying your name too much, it's probably a bad thing in football, anyway. Yeah, they're either like uh, they're either like waxing lyrical about how brilliant you are, or if they're like because I noticed that with Costas and McCass, like he was involved a lot, and it was just for kind of first game for Liverpool, and like I think that happens in the modern game to fullbacks a lot. It's like going to get tested. He's going to get tested. Here comes a winger. Here comes a winger. Like it's coming through that way every single time. And especially if it's like a new guy or they, you know, at the team thinks mm, that's the weaker side, let's go at him. You know, that you can get overwhelmed as a fullback in, in the modern game. And like, especially when you're asked to do, like you said, like offensive duties and it's the same thing in Liverpool. I'm not sure how much of those digny, 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 digny. I don't fucking know. So whatever that land. <laughs> well, that he's going to have to create opportunities because they're going to need to create opportunities from the middle of the back for Richarlison, who is a very, very good player. And yeah, he's good. So fortunate to have him uh, in Everton. He's good. Well, you know, that's fine. As long as he's good and he can play and, and he's not doing bad things off the field. I don't, I don't really I actually don't hate him because he's one of those strikers that Virgil van Dijk has just in his pocket every single time he plays. That's true. Um, just like every other striker in the world. <laughs> oh, fair. But it's also because Richarlison, as, as athletic as he is. He's, he's quick, not, right? He's, he's good. He's quick. He, he's quick and he's athletic, but he's not the most physical. Like he tries to be, he pretends to be, but he's, he's, he's a, he's a scorer. And the, the thing is, is they need to find a way to get him loose uh, and create those up. Looks like your midfield's better though. Well, that's been the Achilles heel again for, for Aaron and two is that the midfield, especially the central midfield. Cause I mean, they were trying to, to bring youngsters in and, and play them uh, in the middle for years. And it, Tom Davies was one of them. Who's yeah. a, I mean, he's a pretty good midfielder, but I don't think he's like a Premier League midfielder. Mm. Uh, but they really tried it. him and Mason Holgate came up around the same time out of the academy, and it was like those were the two big names. And unfortunately, uh, Davies just kind of never caught on and started to lose. Uh, Duncan Ferguson, who oh yeah, that guy, that guy who who just seems to I mean, he'll never be a manager in the EPL, but he will always be the caretaker manager for Everton when they need they feel the need to take an Everton legend in, in his own right, right? And that's fine. But I think a lot of guys have kind of fallen out of graces with him too. Rich Harlison was one of those guys when he kind of looked over as the caretaker between who was who was in here before um it's like you went back if you go backwards, it's like Ancelotti, Ferguson, and then you had uh was oh, Coleman right before that, wasn't Maybe. No, 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 no. It was um, the Spanish guy. I can't remember his name. But nonetheless, he, he, Ferguson kind of lost some of those guys. I mean, he does a great job at the academy. I mean, he, he really does a good job. Roberto Martinez, you forget. Roberto Martinez, um, who is now the, the, the Belgium manager. Yeah, that was inexplicable. No, weird. That's a weird one. Uh, it, was, it doesn't match up at all. I think if Everton can... I, when they went down one this weekend i was like all right well normally an everton team that goes down one in the first half will roll over uh and they didn't and they scored three and they came back and um you know decore and richarlison did their job and, and brought it back so three one victory and i think they're gonna have to do the same against leeds i, I think leeds is back at, in the premier league and they have a big falling they're one of those clubs dave that your dad and probably everyone else is like oh leeds like leeds was a huge club my dad was a Leeds supporter when he was a kid they get it or not. Yeah, he loved Leeds when he was reading Young before. Like, they got, I don't know what, like, there's a whole weird kind of, like, Zabruder tape, Kennedy assassination kind of story behind yeah. him and that, why he switched over to Liverpool. But 
he famously was a Leeds fan uh, when um, the guy before, oh God, he would kill me for not remembering his name now, but the guy before Brian Clough uh, managed Leeds, they were really good. I don't know. I just remember Colin Meany played him in the fucking movie, but <laughs> uh, uh, in the Damned United. But, you yeah, know, they were really good. They were like a serious outfit for years and years and years. And now they're back, and, and I, I think that that's great for Leeds. But uh, if everyone wants to continue to be taken seriously, and, you know, I've, uh, I, I, what I mean, Revy, Don Revy, Don Revy was his name. Okay. He's the guy who made Bill Leeds into this like big team full of fucking scumbags. Anyway, go on. <laughs> when I really started following, uh, Everton, especially, and, you know, I had a, a few friends who were big supporters of Arsenal and Liverpool and they were like, you know, don't get too excited too early in the season. This is a 38 game, 38 match season. It's not football where you, American football, where you win week one and it's like, it's a huge deal. There's half as many games in this league. Used to be true, but at the top of the table, the margins are slim these days. There's been a couple of seasons where United with uh, City and Liverpool going back and forth where the first team to drop points we're going to be the team to lose. And that didn't happen for ages and ages and ages. And they were neck and neck. And they were, you know, they all, almost looking like they might take every point available. So like when the margin shrunk at the top of the table like that, I kind of did. I, I agree with you. I used to say, right. don't, don't look at the table until Christmas. That was like the rule, right? That was kind of everybody's kind of right. fast rule. Nowadays, I'm like, at every point counts. I'm, I'm like an erotic at, on the table like right away and i i'm totally overreacting to early games and early performances yeah. i mean i've been broken now by this these really stressful like if you if the razor thin margins at the top of the, the league you know well i think partly what it comes down to too is the fact that you know it's such a it's a game within a game like you can look at the top of the table and say okay well you obviously you don't want to lose points because then the the cities the united's can jump ahead and, and take that three-point threshold and that could count at the end of the year whereas someone who said who middles like everton you know you could lose a couple matches at the beginning of the year and it's like ah it's it's fine because we kind of know what team we have we know where we're going to end up right we're probably not going to europe anyway so we're probably finished eight through 12 and that that's what we'll do we'll take our money and we'll you know we go spend it where we need to but yeah at the top of the table you're absolutely right but but they got to get a another three points against leeds i think that's i think that's kind of um like necessary we'll see where leads are then as well because like they're spunky they can take points off teams so it'd be good like i do agree it's a kind of a lot of it depends on what your preseason looked like like i what i like to do a lot of the times i like to go when like man city lose or like man united lose i like to go on their subreddit and watch them like panic um but i was just it was disappointingly calm um the man city subreddit after the loss to, to uh tottenham i've heard man city fans don't exist yeah, I mean, this, there's not many of them. There's not many of them. They're they're an elusive, elusive uh, group, you know. They put I'm, on red real quick. Yeah, no, it's tough. It's tough to fill that stadium sometimes. They hear anyway, not to be a dick, but yeah. I mean, there's a lot of the fan base is relatively new. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it was disappointing because I thought they were going to be fucking going insane again, but they're really just like, eh, whatever. We lost to Tottenham. Like, it's fine. Could be worse. So they're not panicking yet. They're not at panic stations yet. It's from the small sample size I was able to take. So maybe I am overreacting to the Liverpool win, but like if we win every other game, then there's a good yeah. chance we'll win the league. <laughs> yeah, if you go 38-0-0, you might... But you might uh... The games that, that Benitez and Everton have to win are, are the games against the Leeds is, you know, of the world. The um, Beat the bottom to the, bird, the Burnleys of the world. Yeah, exactly. And like, 
maybe he was actually always really good at nicking points off big teams, like t- teams with much better players um, than like the Liverpool teams that he was on. I remember a lot of the time, like he would always like United would always win the league, but like he would, we would always beat United that year, you know, or like whatever, um, except for 08 when he came pretty close to win the league that year, actually. But uh, he's good at that. Like he's kind of good at giant killing. So I wonder if he might try and take that approach, just like go for it against your Tottenham's and Liverpool's and stuff. I think uh, it should enliven the Merseyside Derby a little bit because I am on record as, as loving Merseyside Derby day. Like I get really yeah. excited, I, except for when Van Dyke gets injured. But I, I love that day because it's full of pageantry and I love pageantry of any kind. Right. Well, it helps when the teams literally play a half a mile away from each other. It does help. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a pretty big footballing city. As, as small as the city of Liverpool is, uh, it, it, is, it is miles and miles of heart though. Miles and miles of heart. That's right. That coach McGinty. Uh, and so, but real quick before we end, uh, d- two more questions. And one is, uh, you mentioned Arsenal and the reason why the Arsenal loss is so big, uh, is not only did they just had a tough time. Um, and why their manager's name, uh, is Mikel Arteta. Yeah. Arteta, uh, has had a tough time here. Even in the preseason, they had a tough time, but the reason this was so big is because the team that they lost to Brentford. Uh, has not been in the Premier League for 74 years. And the last game they played in the Premier League 74 years ago, they lost to Arsenal 2-0. Yeah, um, Arsenal are so shit. And it's disappointing because I um, recently revealed to friends and, and loved ones and close family members that I actually had a little bit of a crush on Arsenal when I was a teenager. I used to, uh, obviously I was a Liverpool supporter, but the the Wenger Arsenal's... Um, with Henri and like yeah, and like the the Henri and and Vieira and like the style of play that they played, like built one touch passing around the box, passing into the back of the net. Thought it was so sexy. Like I totally, totally, they totally caught my eye. I was always looking at them out of the corner of my eye, you know. And it's a hard thing to admit as a Liverpool fan that the Liverpool crest branded on my skin, Joe. You know, and it's it was hard. It was but like some marriages, you know, that you go through to time rocky times like that, especially when you're young and dumb. Um, but it is disappointing for that reason to see Arsenal kind of fall from grace um, so catastrophically. And like, I kind of had a hunch that Arteta was a bit of a phony, um, to, especially to come in from a place like Man City where he's sort of being venerated as this tactical genius. Uh, but uh, it was, I would always have my suspicions. And then he comes into Arsenal and it's like, did, may, you know, I, I understand the ownership has its fair set, set of problems, but they just look like a team without any direction. Um, against uh, against what, what were they called? Sorry, Brentford. Brentford, right? There's a lot of B names in the league this year. Uh, Brighton, Old Albion, Brentford, Burnley. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they just look like a team without any direction, like no no impetus. Looked a little bit better in the second half, but I don't know. I don't I don't know where they go from here. The, the problems that they have to solve are so catastrophic, and especially how leaky their defense is. Like they have, they, they there was some schoolboy defending there at times. They, they didn't even look. Most of the time, you have what you have, what you call a smash and grab in those situations where a really shit team or a new team or a, or not a great team will beat a bigger team because they kind of surprise them with some. They played Arsenal off the park for a lot of that game. Like they're yeah. better than they're straight up better than them, and that is like very well. They ran so upset it, and like yeah, they faded. I think towards like you know the newly promoted team. I think the fitness levels, like the nutrition tracking and stuff, like sort of started to catch up with them. But Arsenal really didn't have to grit. To 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 really do anything, and then like they poured too many men forward, age old, 
get them on the counterattack. That's it. Seals the game. You know, I mean, that's the trap everybody falls into because you don't really have a choice. You have to go and try and win it because, or at least get a draw because it's going to be embarrassing if you lose to Brentford. So, you know, I feel for them in that sense. And, and oh. I, my brother and I were talking, they remind me a lot on him a lot of the Liverpool team from 2012, where it's just full of dead weight and like there's just a lot that needs to be done. And but, but that Liverpool team, or sorry, 2012. Um, that Liverpool team uh, was like a Sturridge, Suarez, Coutinho uh, trio signing away from being fucking awesome and almost winning the league. So, you know, it, maybe it's not as bad as we think, um, but they need to start. They need to sign somebody who can actually defend or like teach one of their players to defend because like fucking hell, that was bad. Well, for me, uh, as an area, that, that's a Mike line right there for me. Uh, as an Everton supporter, I, I'm okay if they just uh, fall from Grace's heart because that leaves a, a spot in the top eight, top seven uh, for Everton. Um, so, and it doesn't get easier for Arsenal. They have Chelsea next at home. Then the- they could have two points by the trip. I, I was just listening to another podcast that said that they could have, with their fixture record, they have to play Chelsea and Man City in the next couple of weeks, right? Yeah, they have, so they have Chelsea at home. Then they have to go to West Brom and then go to Man City. And then they have Norwich and, and Burnley. So, I mean, but they lost to Brentford and Brentford was a newly promoted team. I mean, maybe it was a fluke, you know, like maybe it was a fluke on both ends. Maybe Arteta just didn't have been ready and Brentford was pumped up. Who knows? I heard a, I heard a preview, uh, a guy who's an Arsenal fan went on a, a podcast I was into called the Anfield Rap, which is great, by the way. Like if after you're done listening to us, go listen to them. Um, and he, it was a preview was prior to the Arsenal uh, Brentford match he was like I think we might lose I think we might end up with zero points by transfer deadline day and that's where I got that little tidbit because of their schedule and I was like even the Ursula fans are saying the ones that are on podcasts are saying that they might not beat Brentford so they obviously knew something was fucking up right like Jesus Christ I love that about football fans too is how honest and morose <laughs> yeah and morose like it's like when you know I can sit here and talk about the normal Patriots and be like yeah yeah they they they're going to be, they're going to be uh, 13 and four, which I don't believe. I think their, their number is like 11 and six, 10 and seven. But when I, you know, I, but I'm going to say, oh yeah, they could win with Everton. I'm like, ah, they'll probably finish 10th because that's just what they do. And it's, it's, you're right. It's very morose. It's very honest. And uh, to hear that from Arsenal fans is big because Arsenal fans always also seem to go too hard one way or too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, to your yeah. And, TV, and, yeah. And, it, and it's just, and it's always them. Cause it's like, they're starting. Yeah, they're the ones that are always like, ah, you know, we, we it's only the first week. We don't want to get all excited. And they're very emotional group. They're very emotional. They're a very emotional group. They are. They, they <laughs> really are. God, God love them. God love them. To equate something else to American football is the Lionel Messi uh, contract with PSG in, in France. So uh, Lionel Messi, if you've gotten this far, you pay attention to football a little bit. But Lionel Messi leaves Barcelona after 20 years. Uh, he literally came through their academy. Um, they couldn't come to an agreement on a contract and nobody was going to pay the, uh, the fee to get him from Barcelona. So it just ended up being a stalemate where he said, I'm, I'm going to let the contract run out and, you know, go sign elsewhere. And it was kind of a mutually agreed upon thing at the end of the contract that he wasn't going to come back to Barcelona. Uh, very Tom Brady-esque kind of, uh, they fell out of love with each other and the player said, I'm going to go somewhere else. And the team said, we'll have to move forward. Um, I, I don't know if Messi is going to be as, uh, this is a really weird sentence to come out of my mouth, but I don't know if Messi is going to be as missed at Barcelona as Tom Brady was in New England, but 
Messi goes off and signs a two-year 41, uh, well, two-year $82 million contract. It's tough, it's tough to compare. I, I think the bigger issue is the biggest difference I can see between the two situations is that I think the New England Patriots are run quite well. I think they're run by a competent group Absolutely. Of people that like essentially know what they're doing. And I think you can point to reasons as to why they let Tom Brady go. Barcelona has not run well, and it's been run very unwell for uh, quite a long time you now. And they just couldn't afford to pay Leo Messi like half his wages. And that is madness. <laughs> it's, it's bonkers. I'm sure he had, it, there was a very stupid subset of the internet saying like he should play for free, which is not, that's just so stupid. Like, no, <laughs> he's not going to play. No, nobody's going to play for free. There's also a rule. There's like a law. You can't garnish 50, more than 50% of your wages in Spain or something like that. So they, that was the lowest he could go. There's a lot of different rumors about it, but you lost Theo Messi because he couldn't afford him and he was like willing to cut his wages. Like that's pathetic, Barcelona. That's a site of bigger problems. That's a site of bigger problems at that place, you know? They bought Coutinho for like 150 million. And now he's worth like five. So it's just bad investing, you know? And, but that seems to be what some of those super teams do. Those big teams where they'll spend that money and then invest poorly. It doesn't seem to happen in England as often because I think they're a little more careful. But I think when some of those teams in Italy, Spain, France, well, not France, less so, but mostly Italy and Spain is when they fall in love with somebody, they go and spend that money and then they just, they don't know what to do with it afterwards. And they're sell, they're selling at a fraction of the cost because they, yeah, they didn't even get anything for it, which yeah. is why. Which is the, and it's not like they get a draft pick like they do in American sports, right? But that PSG attack is going to be absolutely sick. <laughs> that that <laughs> like, team is ridiculous. It's, uh, it's, I, it's so annoying because like everyone's going to pick them in FIFA now. And it's just going to be like, ugh. Every time you have to play them, it's going to be like, oh, great. I kind of look at it and, and hope in a way that uh, uh, Neymar's issues continue. And I, I don't mean that on a, on a personal level. I just mean that from a team level. Like I hope, and he's going to play so good because he already played so good with Messi. Like Messi's just going to come in and make everybody way better. It's 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 just like I w- I wish there was a way to poke fallacies, poke a hole into it, you know. But it's just like it's just so cut and dry. Like he's they're going to be so good. And and PSG is like the you know they're they're the they're the they got Chini White Elder. Yeah, White Elder was fucking nasty. Well, they got Donnarumma Ruma in the great role, and he's 21 years old, so he's going to be around forever. It's going to be it's going to be a lot to deal with. Hey, I mean, more power to Messi. I guess I'm happy enough with him because Liverpool uh, bullied him out of a, a Champions League semi final, got in his fucking head, embarrassed him on TV. Uh, so he's none of our business either. We punked him already. Best of luck. Best of luck, Leo. Made off into the sunset, in, into the Parisian sunset, hopefully. So that this was our, our first MTP soccer show. A little the football kickabout. You're right. <laughs> the MTP football kickabout, a little red versus blue. We didn't really get into it as much because we're, we're only allowed to hate each other twice a year during the Merced Derby. Uh, Derby. It was a good, it was a good broad, broad show. Get more specific yeah. next time. It was good. I enjoyed it. And maybe, maybe at some point we can bring the other guys in and actually talk some football. They're not going to want to do that. They're never, <laughs> Craig, Craig might've, Craig might've been paying attention a little bit. He, he's going to, Craig's going to learn a thing or two. Yes. Yeah. You should start watching the matches, Craig. Craig, we'll, we'll do that more when you come over for birthday parties and fires and stuff. That's what we'll do. So he's not even listening. Yeah, no, he, he listened. He gave me a nod. Uh, so for, uh, DK, uh, sizzle, Dave Clark. 
Uh, I am Joe Malkin. Craig D'Alessandro is our EP. We thank you for joining us for the MTP Football Kickabout. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling, styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric acid. Electric acid.